Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I'm joined today by Alan Stein Jr. Now, he is an experienced keynote speaker, author, and performance coach with a passion for helping others change behaviors. He spent 15 plus years working with the highest performing basketball players on the planet, including NBA superstars Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Kobe Bryant. And through his customized programs, he transfers his unique expertise to help maximize both individual and organizational performance. Alan, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Oh, it's so great to be with you. Thank you, man. It's a pleasure to have you. And first, I want to just say I'm, I'm always fascinated by when people are sort of like connecting the dots in their own personal lives to bring their best selves forward in a way and, and maybe other aspects of their life. So with what you've done with sports and with athleticism, it's really fascinating because you have become successful with increasing performance of athletes, but it began with sort of the character building in a way of the person. So explain sort of those dots being connected in some of the areas like personal habits, that mindset and focus that you had to work on that resulted in higher performance. Oh, well, I'm, I'm so glad you started in this direction. You know, I've always been fascinated by these principles that have such high utility that they apply to every area of our life. And that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about the work I do is, you know, it it helps folks in sport, it helps folks in business, but it also helps folks just in our day-to-day lives. You know, I know in my own life, it allows me to be a better father, better member of my community. So, you know, traits like habits and mindset and focus they transcend all boundaries. And, and that's one of the reasons that I, I love the work I do is I want to help folks focus on being uh, better from a holistic standpoint. You know, I, I don't believe we, we can or should be trying to compartmentalize excellence, but I think we should be raising the standard in our lives in, in every area and aspect. And, you know, I, I was a very dedicated athlete for the first portion of my life uh, and then transitioned that into being a very dedicated performance coach and and i started to notice that these these traits that i was learning from world class players like you mentioned like steph curry and kobe bryant and kevin durant that the same principles that made them elite on the court were the exact same principles that made people happy and thriving and perform well in their personal lives and in business yeah you know it's interesting too because i've had the chance to speak to two olympic athletes as i've done this podcast in the past year one was olympic diver greg luganis And the very first interview I did as a host of the show was with Raven Saunders. They call her the Hulk. She was like the shot putter who uh, she was in the Tokyo games and she was in the Rio games. And it's interesting, both of those two examples had such a difficult time in their personal life because they didn't have that sort of, I guess, coach, if you will, that was helping them sort of work on the inside. Because with athletes, they get pushed so far just to perform. And often I found that no one's checking on them saying, hey, well, how are you doing though? 
in the meantime, right? And it, and it made them really unhappy to the point where they both, in these two instances, their lives were just in bad places. They were suicidal. So there's almost like this, this self-healing that has to happen too for you to even be your best self, to be your most authentic self. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm purely speculating in both of those cases because I've never had a conversation with either and, and only know what you were just kind enough to share. But it's been my experience that a, a, one of the issues that a lot of athletes have is they identify as being an athlete. You know, I, I heard something when I was really young by a, a very influential coach uh, who was a former really elite level basketball player. And, and he said the distinction so brilliantly. He said, basketball is what I do. It's not who I am. And he was very clear that there was a separation between who he was as a human being and how he was working towards self-actualization to be the best version of himself and the craft that he chose to pursue, which was the game of basketball. So I think if you believe you are the thing that you do and you are tethered to external results, that's a, a very dangerous slope because I know in my own experience, anytime I've attached my self-worth and my confidence and my belief in myself to external results, it's dangerous because, mm. you know, you, ultimately that means when you achieve and when you perform at a high level, you feel good about yourself. And when you fall short of a goal or maybe you don't perform at your best, then you feel lousy about yourself. And, and ultimately what you create is this, this human roller coaster of emotions that, that kind of ebb and flow. Cause as human beings, you know, we're sentient beings. We're going to have a wide variety of emotions so for me, I chose to get off of that roller coaster and, and I choose to be much more process oriented and focus on the things I have control over, focus on my habits and my mindset, still aim for these, you know, these, these North stars and these goals, if you will, but I don't attach my self-worth to them so that if I fall a little bit short of a goal, it doesn't make me feel less about myself. It, it just motivates me to figure out where I could have done something differently and then maybe pursue that goal again. Yeah, you, you're spot on with that when it comes to athletics, because that's that's one detail that Raven did share was the high of she was, you know, 19 years old and the Rio Olympics, you know, the whole town gave her a parade. It was like, yeah. And then it stops. And she's like, OK, so now what do I do? Right. And that whole that drop of that uh, accomplishment there left her. I you know. Where do I stand? Who am I? So I think that's an important rule to discuss to know who you are and not be sort of um synonymous with what you do because we can apply that in every aspect of our lives right you can be a ceo of a corporation and if all you're doing is going to work every day and you're measuring your value on the success of that company what happens if the company's stock crashes tomorrow <laughs> right like what are you going to do so you know how, how do you suggest people make that separation how do they do that and it's not an easy one to lean into. And I, I have nothing but empathy and compassion for the folks that, that do struggle with the separation between who they are and what it is that they do. And I, I love the fact that you brought it up that while we may highlight it in athletics a lot, and I know a lot of athletes, especially those that are fortunate enough to play at the professional level, and then they retire, you know, maybe in their early thirties, mm. they have a lot of difficulty adjusting to uh, civilian life afterward. And, and I've actually spoken to many folks in the military and in the armed services who've had that same issue. You know, that, that once they, they have to detach from what it was they were doing and they re-enter civilian life and they're kind of left wondering, well, who am I? I've always identified as being 
fill in the blank, a basketball player, a Marine, a whatever. And now I'm having difficulty figuring out who I am. And, and ultimately the start has to come from self-awareness. Like you, you have to be able to detach from the thing that you do to really figure out who you are and what drives you and what motivates you, what inspires you, where do you get fulfillment from? I was given a really piece of sound advice when I was a really, really young basketball player. And a coach said, Alan, the key to not only performing well, but the key to fulfillment, long-term fulfillment is finding what you're really good at and finding what you love to do. And then finding where those two things intersect. And, and that point of intersection is called your strength zone. And the more time you can spend pouring into your strength zone, Again, the, the, the higher you'll perform and the, the, the happier and more fulfilled you'll be. And, and the neat part with that is that point of intersection will change as we get older and as we mature because we'll uncover new talents and we'll uncover new passions. And in the examples of what we've been talking about, sometimes that strength zone needs to change because we have to change vocation. You know, we're no longer going to be an athlete or we're no longer going to be a CEO or we're no longer going to be in the military. So we have to start figuring out, okay, what do I love and what am I pretty good at? And I'm very thankful that I've been able to navigate my career and I've had a few different career pivots, but I've always stayed true to that intersection. And I, I think that's a pretty good recipe for someone to find something that they can perform at a high level at, but most importantly, have some fulfillment. Mm, no, that's great advice. And, you know, as we talked a few minutes before we started recording, I shared with you about how I've seen some parallels between successful people and CEOs or, or leaders or athletes, whomever, just successful people. And I've seen these common denominators between them that I say, you know what, these are, these are leadership lessons because they've all gone through this and you just tapped into one of them. One of them was the ability to be adaptable in a time of adversity. And I really think none of us can really expect success if we don't allow ourselves to be more pliable and flexible when things don't go as planned. That is really, I think, the only way to get through because life throws so much stuff at us. So the idea of just being able to change in a time of adversity or be willing to change, I think is a big key to what you just said. Oh, absolutely. The, the way I describe this uh, both on stage and on page is we can't allow the outer world to dictate our inner world. Uh, we can't allow circumstances and events and what people say and what people do to dictate our mindset, our attitude, our perspective, and how we show up. We have to be able to uncouple the, the two. And, and, and with that being said, that is, that is not easy to do. That's right, very right. easy for me to say. It is definitely not easy, easy to do. That is tough to put in practice. But the way that I choose to look at it is we all as human beings, we have preferences. You know, I, I certainly know that I have a, a whole list of preferences, but I came to the conclusion a few years ago, and it's kind of funny to me that it took me over 40 years to come to this <laughs> very obvious conclusion, but it is not the universe's job to meet all of my preferences. It is not the universe's job to make Alan Stein Jr.'s life as easy and as fluid and as happy as possible. Right. It's my job, to your point, to be adaptive and reflexive enough to take whatever the world throws at me and be able to find a way to still persevere. And this comes in a variety of, of different forms. And many of them are just in kind of the the mundane day-to-day -day little nuances of life. You know, it's a sitting in traffic, a, a slow cashier at Target when you're running late for a meeting. <laughs> Some of these, what we can all agree are kind of minor annoyances, but we can't allow those types of circumstances and events 
to dictate how we show up. I mean, if, if your entire day can be thrown off track because of a little traffic or a slow cashier, then I don't think you've quite worked to the point that you have a, a winning mindset. And I, again, say that with no judgment, just simply with all the compassion and empathy I have. And then of course, if you're struggling with the little things like traffic and slow cashiers, it's really going to be hard when life throws the big stuff at you. And, and I also say that with so much compassion because you know, life will throw big things at all of us, you know, uh, death, illness, foreclosures, bankruptcies, you know, what, what, what everyone struggled through with a, a two plus year global pandemic. These are all examples of circumstances and events that are well outside of our control. And it doesn't mean that we like them. It doesn't mean we prefer them. It doesn't even mean that they're good, but we have to have some level of acceptance and surrender that those things are happening and we can't do anything to change them but we can always change our response to them. And we yes. can always choose a response that will hopefully make things at least just a little bit better and move us forward just a little bit more. And, you know, I know when we're talking about the big stuff, death of a loved one or a, a sick relative or losing your job or a bankruptcy, I'm no way implying that it's easy to have this mindset when those things happen, mm -hmm. but it is possible. And if your goal is to live a truly fulfilled life, then being adaptable and reflexive, as you mentioned before, it's really a non-negotiable. Yeah. No, that's so great because I just did a um, recent leadership summit and I did a presentation and my presentation was called Obstacles can become opportunities. And it was examples of those, these very stories I've shared with you where these successful people shared a range of things they've done where they had to reframe their thinking. And in reframing their thinking, the most prominent one was the a survivor of the Boston Marathon bombing who almost lost her legs. And she literally on the podcast admits that she was so angry and upset about this being done to her that she was actually plotting to kill them. I mean, you know, it was a deep comment. I was like, wow, we've never had that kind of confession on my podcast before, but it was really a deep confession. But then she talks about her transformation when she said, well, let me research who would do something like that. And she began to research these two guys and realized they were kids and they had been radicalized. And she thought more about where they had come from and how this happened to them. And she started to develop compassion for them. Oh, I love that. And then she got to the point where she had to do her, her victim statement in the, in the courtroom and she locked eyes with him and she said, I forgive you. I'm not going to forget, but I forgive you. And when she did that, she said it was like this entire like weight lifted off of her. Mm. And she no longer refers to them as the bombers because they have a name. Mm -hmm. She said, I will call them by their name. But then she said, and I, I love them. And then I was well, okay, I have to, I'm gonna have to work on that one. <laughs> because, Absolutely. But for her, she literally said it this experience was a gift. It changed her life. She did a documentary about this experience and she became an award-winning filmmaker. And now that's her new life. So this entire experience, she says, I've learned that things that happen or things that you think are happening to you may be happening for you. Oh my goodness. Uh, that is so powerful. And I mean, that is an incredibly extreme example, but it just shows the power of compassion, the power of forgiveness. But ultimately what that teaches is the only person she would have punished by continuing to play the victim card would be herself. And, and I'm so thankful that she came to that realization. I mean, I, I can't fathom what she went through and how hard it must have been, you know, both literally and figuratively to be able to reach that 
that point. But that is incredibly inspiring. But the other thing that I'm hearing, and this is something that, you know, I, I try to apply to, to my own life is to be less critical, make less or fewer assumptions and be less judgmental and instead lean in with curiosity and mm. fascination. Yes. You know, she, you know, from what you just described so, so brilliantly, she was curious about the people that did this and why would they do something like this? Like she didn't, she didn't automatically admonish them. She, she wanted to know how could someone possibly make a decision to do something so, so hurtful and so destructive and then developed the level of empathy because she probably realized, you know, as you said, they were radicalized, which is almost another way of saying kind of brainwashed, if you will. And, and, and what did they go through in order to get to that low point that they felt that was the only way that, that they could solve whatever was bothering them. So for me, that tool has been really helpful these last few years in particular, where I feel like things have gotten very divisive in our world. You know, I mean, we, we're divisive in so many different capacities. And instead of making an assumption that someone at face value might have a different belief than I do, you know, I, here's the, the, the steps that I go through. First of all, our beliefs are heavily shaped by our experiences in life and our background. Mm -hmm. You know, um, almost every single demographic quality that we have can alter some of the beliefs. The, the biggest one can be simply geography. Like where you grew up in the world will heavily influence what it is that you believe, both in the United States and even abroad. You know, somebody that's growing up in a rural suburb of China is going to have a different set of beliefs than someone that grows up in a rural suburb say in Mississippi, like there's different belief patterns. So it's, it's almost comical that we feel that everyone should see the world the way that we do. Right. You know, I mean, I have my own set of beliefs and preferences and many of them are dictated uh, by my age, by where I grew up, by who I was raised by, by my ethnicity, by, you know, so many different factors. So assuming that most people are navigating the world from a different vantage point, why would I ever be surprised that someone views something differently? So first of all, I, I try to just understand that folks are going to view things differently than I do. Secondly, I do believe that I have the right to my own opinion and the right to my own preferences and beliefs. So therefore, I need to extend the same right to you or to anyone else that right. you are also entitled to your your beliefs and your perspectives. It doesn't mean I agree with them and it doesn't mean you agree with mine, but you absolutely have the right to believe what you believe, even if it's different. And then I lean in with curiosity and I say, you know, man, it's, I'm fascinated that you see this one issue so differently than I do. I'm perplexed and I would love to learn why you believe what you believe. Why do you feel so strongly? I mean, I'm looking at this and I see this and you're looking at the same thing and you see this. How are we so far apart? I mean, we're, we're, we're both educated, intelligent human beings, and we're so different on this. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. And I mm -hmm. find that when you lean in with curiosity, instead of judgment or assumptions or being critical, more times than not, the other person will slowly start to meet you in the middle. And they'll slowly start to explain why they feel the way that they feel. But then even more importantly, they'll also be open to hearing why you believe what you believe. And I'm also under the impression that despite all of this perceived divisiveness, we're all much more alike than we are different. 
Right. I mean, we may view a specific issue and you can pick any issue you want. We might view that differently. But when you really look at the, the commonalities of humanity, we all kind of want the same things in mm-hmm. life. You know, we, we want to feel loved. We want to feel like we're making a contribution. We want to feel like we're growing and improving. You know, we like these are basic human needs. So when you really list those things out, even if you and I look at one issue slightly differently, whether it's political, whether it's religious, whatever, more times than not, most of what we share is going to be the same. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's so spot on when it comes to the current divisiveness of our society. And it's like, you can't even like have any conversation today without somehow it being misconstrued. And even like a couple of days ago, like you know, the recording artist, um, Sade, and she's been like around for like, you know, quite a while. She does like one brilliant album every 10 years. She doesn't sing above a whisper, basically. And these two guys on Facebook two days ago were having like this like bloody battle fight over something to do with Sade. And I'm like, boys, if we're fighting over Sade, like <laughs> the woman doesn't even like barely open her mouth. She's like, she's like, who fights over Sade? Like, how did that become? <laughs> so I'm like, we need to really get it together because so I use the empathy uh, situation with the Boston bomber situ- the story because I say, if she could forgive those guys, I can avoid having fights over dumb stuff with people like Sade's real name on Facebook, right? I mean, there's bigger... <laughs> People have forgiven people and for so much. So like, you know, these little petty divisive conversations are really just kind of a waste of, of time. So absolutely. I'm so glad that you shared that. And the other thing that I, I've found, and I've learned some of this through my own experience. I mean, what, one disclaimer I certainly want to make with everything that I'm sharing with you in this awesome conversation and everything I share in the other work that I do, I'm not coming from a place of mastery in any of this stuff. <laughs> like I'm still very much a work in progress. And, and while I've made progress in many of these areas. And and I handle a lot of these things better today than I ever have at any previous point in my life. Uh, I still have work to do, but they're good reminders. And, And one of the reminders I have as well, if you and I do see something differently, and there is a little bit of divisiveness, if the goal is to try to reach some type of common ground, then the best way to do that is with respect and civility. It's mm-hmm. it's not by trying to to undermine the other person or or diminish them or demean them or be disrespectful or call them names. You mm-hmm. know, it's amazing to me. And we have a whole list of things that we've been divisive about. But you know, one of the that's top of mind um, that became a political issue was kind of a vaccine or no vaccine, <laughs> mask or no mask. And, right. and and there were folks on either side of that that had very strong convictions. And it just I, it shocked me. That whether no matter which side you were on, they tended to think that the best way to get the other person on their side of the fence was to make fun of them, was to call them stupid, was to say, this is, you know, I can't, you'll never beat somebody into submission, into believing what you believe. Mm. The best thing to do is to lean in and be curious to see why they feel the way that they feel and to simply share with no strings attached why you believe what you believe. And, you know, if you can kind of disarm people's tendency to blame, complain, and make excuses and deflect, if you can allow them to kind of just put their guard down for a moment and have a very respectful and civil discussion and say, hey, you know, here's what I believe about vaccines, but I understand you see this differently. I'd love to learn more about why you feel the way that you feel. And if you're open to it, I'd love to share with you why I feel the way I feel. To me, that's a, a much 
better resolution to trying to find some common ground as opposed to constantly yelling and screaming and, and, you know, tossing insults at each other. You will never beat somebody into your way of thinking. The best you can do is to try to have empathy for theirs and openly share yours. That's great advice. Everyone, please take it to heart because easier said than done, I know, in this political climate especially, but I agree we should at least uh, make the effort and, and try to do it. And I do want to talk about a couple of things that you have shared in your your talks when you do your your corporate speeches and when you do your different um, workshops. I was fascinated by the story you told about Kobe Bryant and 3 a.m., I know it's a little bit of a longer story, but you can sort of share it with us here. But I want to um, ask you about that because it ties into your philosophy about the basics and how we can't get bored by the basics. So, I mean, I'll just give you the floor and uh, just kind of wrap that together for me about what that story was about and how it tied to the the basics I'd be happy to. What I'll do is I'll kind of give your listeners the, the Cliff Notes version. And then if they go to my YouTube channel, they can get the more theatrical uh, version. So in 2007, uh, I had an opportunity to work the first ever Kobe Bryant Skills Academy. Uh, Nike flew me out to Los Angeles to, to work this camp with, in my opinion, the best player in the world at, at that time. And I got to watch one of Kobe's really early morning workouts. You, you said it, you know, to the tune of 3 a.m. And I remember as a young coach being very surprised that he was doing very basic drills. You know, I expected to see the best player in the world do some stuff with some sizzle and some sexiness and some flash. And instead he was just drilling down on the fundamentals. And, and that surprised me. And then I had a conversation with him later that day at camp. And, and I said to him verbatim, I said, Kobe, you're the best player in the world. Why are you doing such basic drills? And, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, this has been 15 plus years. And I remember it like it was yesterday. He, he flashed that million dollar smile and he gave me a very friendly wink. But he said in a serious tone, why do you think I'm the best player in the world? Because I never get bored with the basics. And it was one of a handful of epiphanal moments that I've had in my life. Because in that moment, I realized that just because something is basic, it doesn't mean it's easy. Those are not synonyms. And yet people mistakenly use those words as if they're interchangeable, but they don't mean the same thing. I absolutely believe that what it takes to be a high performer what it takes to achieve and produce at a high level, what it takes to be happy and fulfilled, uh, whether it's in basketball, business, or anything in between. I think that stuff is very basic, but none of it is easy to do. And that's such an important distinction. And very similar to what you were saying about um, the, the young lady able to provide forgiveness in something as extreme as the, the Boston bombing. I looked at this in a similar fashion. If Kobe Bryant, someone that is the best in the world at what he does and someone that has truly mastered his craft, if he's saying that his secret is that he never gets bored with the basics and the fundamentals are not beneath him, then they definitely can't be beneath me. I need to focus on the fundamentals in every area of my life. And, and that really has become a, a life philosophy for me. I mean, whether I'm trying to improve uh, as an author or a speaker, or I might, if I'm trying to improve as a father to my three children, I try to focus on a handful of the fundamental building blocks and I try to work relentlessly towards mastery of them specifically during the unseen hours when nobody's watching. Mm. And if we can all focus on the basics and not fall to the temptation of looking for a shortcut or a hack or looking for something shiny and sexy and flashy, if we can focus on the basics and work towards mastery of those, we will continue to level up in any area of our life. Alan Stein, junior experienced keynote speaker, author, and performance coach. We really appreciate you being here today on Motivational Mondays. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.